to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit, charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will soon be live. Enough rambling. Let's get started. Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Today's guest, Allison Nimlos, is a licensed marriage and family therapist and co-founder of the Diabetes and Mental Health Virtual Conference, who specializes in behavior change psychology for diabetes. That's a handful, a word, a mouth, I don't know what the words are, but there's a lot that we're going to discuss today, and all of those words kind of come together. So, Allison, welcome to the show, and tell me where you're calling in from. Thank you so much. I'm coming. I am coming to you from the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Yay! I You might be my first guest from that area. So yay. <laughs> yay for me. So I start each episode with, let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis story. Sure. So I was diagnosed almost 30 years ago. I was eight and I don't remember a ton about it because it was obviously it was a while ago and and I was you know pretty young but I do have some pretty vivid memories like little snapshots that are that sure. are like vivid, you know what I mean and so one of them that I, I always tell people when I they ask me about my diagnosis story is that we went to the pediatrician because I claimed to have an earache I don't was- know if I actually had an earache or if I was just trying to get out of school third grade. But we landed in the pediatrician's office. And while we were there, and I didn't have an ear infection, I was totally fine. Ear wise, my mother says to the pediatrician, and I remember her saying, I remember just sitting there, but I remember her saying that she'd been noticing that I was drinking a lot. Hmm. And I remember, so the pediatrician and my, my mother sort of talked back and forth for a little bit. And then they sent me to do a urine sample in the clinic bathroom. Mm-hmm. And a few hours later, we get a call that I have type 1 diabetes and that I needed to go to the hospital. And my next door neighbor came over to watch my little brother and my parents took me and it was, you know, the longest two and a half days of my life. Right. Sometimes I remember asking my mother one time, like, how long were we there? And she goes, That's just like a couple of days. And for me, like, it felt incredibly drawn out such a thing to happen, you know, and of course, oh, yeah. two days when you're eight years old just can feel like a lifetime anyways. But let yeah, have, let me say, so going back to you, because I was diagnosed at the same age and 40 years ago, mm-hmm. and I was in children's hospital for almost two weeks. With that being said, when you peed in the cup, which, you know, I'm sure was the first for you as it was for me, did they not do any blood work? So they determined it through your urine. Do you know? I think it was just a urine sample. Yeah. Okay. But when I got to the hospital, they did all the things. All the things. Yeah. I had like an IV in my arm, all the whole mm-hmm. the whole enchilada. Yeah. And do you feel like looking back now, and this is not a fair question because we were so young, we didn't really know. We did what was asked of us and try to take in whatever information. But our parents essentially at the end of the day were going to be responsible for managing our diabetes. Do you feel like you and your parents received proper education upon your diagnosis? I think so. I 
remember, I mean, my endocrinologist, when I, at the time I was diagnosed, was very, very thorough. In fact, one of the things that I remember most about that experience was the fact, and he was like this ongoing, was that he talked to the kid. He, oh. he didn't talk to my parents. He also looked at me and talked to me about what was going on. And when we go, would go in for our endocrinologist appointments, he would ask me questions. That's great. And so, yeah, he was phenomenal. I mean, he was very beloved. He actually passed away of cancer when I was 17 mm. and had ended up not – he had to kind of slow down and, and close his caseload when I was about 14. But we had a really good fa- – I mean, he set the bar high for <laughs> healthcare provider for sure. And I've been, I think, incredibly particular ever since. As we should be as patients. And this is, you know, we're not like going to the doctor every couple of years. It's you're there every couple of months. And so one of the other things I like to ask, especially for us oldies in this disease, when you first were diagnosed, let's talk about what you were put on when it came to your diabetes management tools and then where you are today. Yeah. Well, I was on regular and NPH, I think three shots a day. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was going to be four at some point in high school, they wanted me to take an after, they wanted me to take an afternoon snack shot because my NPH wasn't cutting it. And I said, no, I'm not, no way. No, that was my, that, draw the was, line. <laughs> that was crazy talk. And I ended up going on an insulin pump in 2000. So I was, I started off with Medtronic 5 something, who knows. <laughs> and that was why I switched <laughs> to the yeah. insulin because Dr. Hansen was like, you can either take a fourth shot or you can go on an insulin pump. But that was kind of like yeah. in order to have sort of optimal management, that was those were really my options. And I said, give me the pump. I am not taking another shot. And now I wear, I've switched off the Medtronic. I was on that for a long time. I'm on the Omnipod 5 and the Dexcom G6. Okay. Yay. Yay to all the technology and advancements. I have to say when it comes to the shots, and I've said this on podcasts in the past, is I switched from cloudy, clear, NPH and regular. This was like in 2002 or three, which is crazy to me to even think that it was that long ago, but still how things have advanced since then. And I was like, so then they put me on, I believe it was Lantus and Nova Logger Humalog. And I was like, so let me get this straight, doc. I'm going from two shots a day because I was doing it before breakfast and before dinner to now four and five shots. And anytime I want to eat, I got to shoot up. I'm like, what the hell? This is not an even trade. I mean, this is not... Then when I lost a bunch of weight and I felt much better and I didn't have so many weird blows, it all worked out. But it's like one of those give and take, you know, with all this. And one of the things I want to kind of get into when it comes to the mental health of living with this disease and something that you are really, I'm not going to say an expert, but very well versed in. Let's talk about your practice and the percentage of clients that you have that live with diabetes or a chronic condition. Yeah. So I've been a practicing marriage and family therapist for going on six years. So I sort of have two branches of my my practice. I have a mm-hmm. counseling practice and I have a coaching practice. And my counseling practice where I focus on mental health, which is really kind of around the emotions, mm-hmm. the thoughts, the narrative, kind of dealing with things from from the past. There's some coaching elements to counseling, but counseling encompasses so much more. It's a really broad thing. My patients have a chronic, some chronic illness Mm -hmm. or medical condition. 
and then a, a small percentage don't. They're they're the normies, right? <laughs> they're just the, you know, regular anxiety. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so I mean, a significant portion of my clients do have a medical condition, and many do have type one, though not exclusively. Sure. I've worked with people with multiple sclerosis, cancer, chronic pain, just kind of runs the gamut. But of course, because people in the Minnesota know that I have diabetes, I get a lot of referrals out of Mayo Clinic and some mm-hmm. of the hospitals up here in the Twin Cities. I do get a lot of people with with diabetes. And then kind of my other bucket is diabetes education and coaching which is more kind of that behavior change and kind of diabetes education and kind of helping people to kind of do diabetes better, do diabetes more compassionately, adopting new habits, new systems, routines, which play a big role in in our mental health, but it's a little bit of a different direction, like Mm -hmm. a different pathway. And those are exclusively people with diabetes. Well, and I think that, well, no, I think I am so thankful that we are now really addressing mental health as a part of living with this disease. No one, I mean, I've been in therapy in and out of my whole life. I mean, chosen to do so. And it wasn't until I did a mental health retreat. Oh gosh, it's been quite a few years. But when everybody else was talking about their trauma and nobody's trauma is more significant than the others. But when I realized that the demon in my room or in my space was diabetes and I'd never addressed it. And so we really focused on the inner child and the trauma and things that even though I've had a great life, this disease does put an extra layer of weight every single day. So, and I have people ask me all the time, hey, can you refer me to someone in the mental health space that lives with this disease? Because I know that they'll understand. So good on you because you are like the little unicorn, the golden child. Yeah, we are. There are, we exist. We are out there. It is tricky to find someone with a precise lived experience. Yeah. Which is also why I think also thinking about competency, kind of like cultural competency and just competency in general can be really important. It kind of can be a different angle that people can think about this. There are a lot of people who have, you know, maybe a different chronic illness who could Mm -hmm. also work with you. Just like I have diabetes, but I work with people who have a different chronic illness. And and even though it's it's not a one-for-one lived experience, there's a lot of overlap. And then of course there are people who have just really devoted their life to being an expert in something. And so even though we may not necessarily have the precise lived experience, we have an understanding that has developed through dedication. And I think that is a really important thing when people are looking for a therapist to kind of keep all those things in mind, because we are so few and far between that I always say I, I would hate for somebody to not see a therapist just because they didn't have diabetes. Like right. there are other things that you can look for to support whether or not this person is going to be a good fit. Oh, I think that's that's very well said. And one of the reasons why I brought Allison onto the podcast today is because we touched base in January and this will come out in the very first week of May, right before the conference. So let's talk about the conference and why you decided to start it. Yeah. So the Diabetes and Mental Health Conference, which is happening May 5th and 6th, is sort of a, well, it's a passion project that I co-founded with um, a colleague of mine and friend, Sarah Adams. And basically the genesis of the idea was that pre-COVID, I was doing a lot of traveling for, for speaking at some JDRF 
type one nations and some connected emotion slipstreams about mm-hmm. mental health. And the thing that I was noticing was that I was the only one there talking about mental health. And so I had 45 minutes to like talk about mental health and diabetes. And it was like crash course. A lot. To, there's yeah. a lot to cover. And I could never get deep enough into anything. I either right. had to go really narrow and throw out a bunch of really important things, or I had to go super broad and you you got just like a little, it was like yeah. a little little tasting sample. And I didn't, I didn't like either of those options. And I just kept thinking like there needs to be an event just for mental health and diabetes so that we could get more in depth, that we could yeah. have a whole session just on blah, 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 that we could have a whole panel on X, Y, Z, that it didn't have to be this like pick or choose. And then, you know, the rest of the event, a lot of these conferences are focused on sort of the management and like, how do you bowl us for pizza? And tell me about the technology, which are important. And like, we need those events, but I wanted my event. I wanted to have these conversations. And so I actually had the, again, I had the idea kind of back in 2020. I was sort of starting to make connections with other therapists with diabetes, but mm-hmm. then I had my second son. So then I like, that didn't really happen. So when finally in the fall, when he was about six months old, I was like, okay, who wants to do, who wants to do this? Is anybody going to help? And, right. and, and Sarah and our colleague, Christina jumped in. And, and so we put together last year's event. And now this year we have a couple more therapists. We have a, a psychologist with type two and a social worker who's the sibling of a type one on our planning Mm -hmm. committee as well, kind of putting together this event. And it's just so cool to see like a day and a half worth of sessions and keynotes and a panel all on the emotional impact that diabetes has. Well, what can people, well, absolutely. And what, what can people expect with the conference? And if they can't attend virtually, is this something that will be available after the fact? Yeah. So that's one of the the perks that we learned through COVID is virtual conferences. It sort of became like a thing, you know, and we have a great platform that we run it on and everything's recorded. So those who are listening, who want to sign up, who maybe realize that they can't, they can't make it, you know, mm-hmm. this weekend. They can still register through the 4th and they will have access to the replays to the recordings for a whole month. Okay, great. 30-day uh, access to the event, which is definitely plenty of time to to watch. And yeah, the conference is, what can they expect? Well, there's two tracks. We have one track that's more dedicated towards patients and kind of family members and one track that's a little more geared towards providers. We are offering CEUs, mm-hmm. um, the ACES, and both tracks are accessible to either, sure. you know, if a patient wants to attend something that's on the provider track or vice versa, absolutely, that's okay. One's just more geared toward targeted and then, of course, because it's recorded, you can always go back and just like watch everything. We also have three keynotes. Our headlining keynote this year is Dr. Mark Heyman. Then we also have a welcome keynote from Mila Clark and a closing keynote from Adam Brown, who's sort of best known for the 42 factors and being an editor at Diatribe, who's yeah. now a therapist himself. So we have, 
we have gotten him onto our, our side. So he has moved over to, to counseling from the industry. And then we have our panel. And our panel is, this year, our panel is on shame and stigma, which mm-hmm. is such an important topic to address, to identify, to really dig into. And again, that's really why I love that this conference is an entire event for mental health. Like we can just do that. We can we can spend an hour and a half talking about just shame and stigma. So the keynote is going to be just awesome. And then afterwards, we're going to do a sort of fireside chat, continuing the conversation with the panelists and attendees will be able to network and kind of have these conversations in real time with other attendees about shame and stigma and their experience. And hopefully they'll feel really, you know, fruitful, but also just, I don't know, life-giving and just kind of a way to access that part of their experience that goes neglected too much. Well, and I think it's one of those things, and I didn't really realize the impact of shame in I think about shame as somebody shaming you and making you feel this way, but I think more often than not, and what I've learned through tons of therapy, I'm constantly shaming myself. Yeah. And that is a cycle that I've broken or I'm continuing to break and I continuously work on as one of my tools and my own mental health and diabetes management. So I'm excited for this. And when we talk about even, I'm doing this podcast because I want everyone to know about it. And if you haven't heard about it, this is just going to be another avenue to learn more. And when we talk about healthcare disparities and these urban areas, I guarantee no one's talking about mental health in those communities. So the virtual connection is invaluable. I mean, it's like, it's insane. So do you have a rough number as to how many people will be attending this year so far? We've got plenty of time to still We have plenty of time. We're at a little over 170 people registered great. so far from 11 countries. Wow, that's great. And that's so exciting too, because I love shaming in different, I mean, it's so, it can be vastly different. So yeah. I'm going to wrap it up with, there's two questions that I've been asking and we can, if there's anything else you want to share about the conference, we'll touch on that at the very end. But two things that I ask every guest now is, do you have healthy food options within a walkable two mile radius? And that would mean fresh fruits or vegetables. Yes, I do. Yay, you. Grocery right down the road. I could I could walk to the grocery store if I needed to. Okay. And you know, I do live in the suburbs. I do live in, okay. in the suburbs. So we don't really, and I live in Minnesota. So we don't really walk any, anywhere <laughs> but can help it. But yeah, I mean, I could. If I, if I needed to go to the grocery store, it's, yeah, it's right down the road. Okay. And then the other question that I ask, and this is more about the disparities, but, and you've kind of touched on this. I asked, did you receive proper education upon diagnosis? And do you continue to stay updated on advancements with type one diabetes through your medical team? Obviously you're in the space. (laughs) Like I am. So it's not a fair question. (laughs) It's not a fair question because I think they know enough about me that they don't try. Okay. Um, my endocrinologist knows what I do for work. So I think we educate each other. Yeah. I hear things I've read and she she does educate me on different things that I maybe need some clarity on or to kind of see how it relates to me personally. Yeah. I think that's definitely about, you know, you read something or you go to attend a conference and you hear stats and studies mm-hmm. and drugs and medications, but you go, 
what kind of impact is that going to have on me? Right. And that is an important thing to have from from a healthcare provider. And I do think that, you know, my endocrinologist does a pretty good job doing that. And then I've also, I have done my own sort of team creating and that I've worked with outside of my hospital system, outside of Mm -hmm. my clinic. I've worked with the folks that integrated diabetes services Mm -hmm. a couple of times, a few times over the years, and they know everything. (laughs) I mean, they're they're amazing. Uh, They're team of CDEs with diabetes. I mean, yeah, you, know, you can't get, yeah, that you, get that. you can get really good, you know, kind of what we're talking about with like the mental health and having having diabetes, you know, having education <laughs> from that perspective can really kind of I think they know like the secrets, right? They right. know the like the hidden passageways. They know the trap doors. Whereas I think if you're just talking to an endocrinologist or a CDE who maybe isn't as intimately familiar with the lived experience, mm-hmm. some of the things get left out until you sort of say, hey, this thing happened to me. And then they go, oh, yeah, that's normal. And you're like, <laughs> if it's normal, why didn't I know about I it? I would have liked to have known that at the beginning. Right. Uh, I mean, I've been involved in the diabetes online community since before it was called the diabetes online yeah. community, like back in the olden days when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And that was, I think, one of the things that we just all saw as the biggest benefit was you had people who could just name them, name yeah. the, the the potholes and yeah. the blind curves before you got there. You didn't even yeah. know what you were looking for, but people could say, hey, watch out for this. Yeah, you really, You really need that, whether that's coming from a healthcare provider or it's coming from peer support. And I think I think a good mental health therapist can help you to figure out your yeah. own blind spots and yep. kind of your own, how am I going to navigate the unknown and how am I going to cope with the stress? Because right. there's a lot that comes at you when you have education and education and education and yeah. you've got the peanut gallery kind of saying, oh, there's all this stuff that you, yeah. you, know, you need to know about. And social media can be great, but it's so overwhelming. And I think making sure that you have a space to process that and to gain some emotional skills to move through the overwhelm is really, really important. Well, here's the last question that I have for you and something that was asked me quite some time ago by someone from Beyond Type 1, and I can't recall who it was. But they asked if, because I live with type 1 diabetes, I work within the diabetes space, I'm always talking to people with diabetes, do I ever get to turn it off? And so I think about what I unload on my therapist, and you deal with that on a regular basis in your professional career. Are you able to leave it at the door, check it, you know, check out from that professional side to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? And does it ever weight you down? Because it's a lot, a lot of energy. I think my kids help because they do not care that I have diabetes <laughs> at all. They couldn't give a rat's behind that I hate mom has diabetes. You know, right. I, I mean, my my oldest, he's almost six. He he knows that I have it, but he doesn't he doesn't talk to me about it. Right. It's when I'm when I leave my office, you know, and I go downstairs, it's like mom's here, and it's just like you're in your mom mom mode. And I think also having other avenues, like having a good group of friends and family and things like that, you're able to kind of access those different parts of yourself. Because yeah, I think if I only saw myself as a diabetic or a professional diabetic, yeah, 
whatever. I think that would get, that would get hard. And I also, to a fair, you know, a fair bit appreciate having, having plants who don't have diabetes or have yeah. we don't even have a medical condition. I mean, to do counseling and having some of that variety is helpful in that regard. So yeah, whether it's kind of these sort of just different kind of buckets of work that I have yeah. that also like really kind of just going like, yep, for this time that I'm, I'm with, I mean, yeah, I'm doing my diabetes, but right. it, it is not more of that passive role of just doing diabetes. So, yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you again for joining the show. I am so looking forward to this conference and thank you and your team for making it happen because you're definitely filling a much needed void within the space. And so good luck with everything. I feel confident that it'll be a very successful event. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I